Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. That's for sure. Two go in, and only one comes out victorious, right? How many of you watch cage fighting on a regular basis? All right, a few of you. All right, I've got to make, here's one of those confessions of your pastor. I love cage fighting. I, I don't know if it's because I used to wrestle in high school or what it is, but I like to watch Ultimate Fighting Championship, uh, Extreme Cage Fighting. It don't matter. I like it all. I watch it all the time, and I enjoy it because of that, I guess, but Basically, when you boil cage fighting down, basically what it is is a test of will. Uh, by the way, somebody asked me after the first service, because they don't ever watch it, they asked, do you fight to the death? No, you don't fight to the death in cage fighting, all right? Uh, I'm not quite into that much, you know. Uh, uh, you fight until somebody either submits or you knock somebody out or you win on points, basically. But basically, it's a test of will. It's a test of strength and dexterity. And what happens is two individuals enter the cage, and the one that wins is the one that is able to enforce their will or their authority on the other person. And so that is basically the concept of cage fighting. And, you know, you can see cages one of two ways. One, you can see a cage as a system of containment that boxes you in, or in the case of ultimate cage fighting, you see cages as an arena for combat. And what I want us to do over the next four weeks is I want us to look at cage fighting and the cages that are in our lives as an arena for mortal combat where we do battle and we fight for victory. So I need to ask you some questions this morning. I want to ask you quite a few questions. But the first question I want to ask you this morning is this. What locks you down? What fences you in? What, what keeps you from accomplishing the purpose and the plan and the destiny that God has for your life? What cages you up and keeps you from being able to accomplish those things? Because our path to fulfillment and maturity will be marked by our willingness to fight out, out of the cages of our lives. And I just want to ask you this question. Do you think that God created you or the people around you to be average? 
did, did God in his sovereignty and in his providence one day when your mom and dad were thinking about having children come to the conclusion that this child, I, you know, all the other children I purpose to be awesome and incredible and do, uh, do great feats for, for my kingdom, but this child, just pick this one, I just decide that they're going to be average. I don't believe that. None of us want to live our life halfway fulfilled and halfway uh, accomplish what he called us to do. And yet, what I've come to the conclusion is that most of the people that I know and a lot of the people that I, that I see out in the world on a daily basis are at best average. Think about that a moment. The people you come into contact with on a daily basis, are they extraordinary or are they Average. See, you got to understand something. I understand that most of us were not destined to come up with the cure for cancer or AIDS or come up with some cool little electronic device, the gadget that impacts and changes culture forever. I understand that. But I believe that in our area of influence and in our areas of interest, God has ordained us to be above average, to be awesome. And yet we seem to fight on a regular basis these cages, and they keep us from accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. I remember a commercial that played a few years ago, and, I, and I'm sure you'll remember it. It showed these children, and it would zoom in on the face of a child, and the child would look into the camera and say, when I grow up, I want to be a drug addict. And the next one would come on screen and say, I want to live on welfare for the rest of my life. And then another one would come up and say, I want to commit murder and be in prison for the rest of my life. And another one would say, I want to join a gang and live an outlaw lifestyle. You remember that commercial? And what it did is through the use of sarcasm, it taught us that none of us start out our lives wanting to be like that. None of us want to start out our lives and end up our lives as average. So something changes across the course of our life that forces us to become average. Seems like something holds us back from our destiny. One author came to this conclusion. He said, there's more competition to become mediocre than to become remarkable. Think about that statement a moment. There is more competition to become mediocre than to become remarkable. Almost everyone is vying for the same spots to be average. For uh, Far fewer people actually go for the big dreams, which makes them easier to attain. Then he uses this as an example because he was a fundraiser. He says it's easier to raise a million dollars than $10,000 because more people are trying to raise $10,000. And so we have to face off and square off against the opponents of our life. One of the first opponents that we have to square off against in our lives, if we are going to become all that we're supposed to become and all that we're supposed to be destined for, one of the very first opponents that we have to face off against is fear. We have to fight fear. Fear can be paralyzing. Fear can be uh, debilitating. Fear can stop you in your tracks. And if you are going to do what God has called you to do, you have to be willing to fight fear. We are fearful people. Do you know that uh, scientists have discovered that there are over 2,000 classified fears? It's unbelievable. You know some of them uh, because you've heard about them like um, arachnophobia. The fear of spiders. Anybody afraid of spiders in here? Oh, yeah. I see them. I see those hands. They're having hands go up all over the building. People are scared of spiders. Another one that you're familiar with is like 
claustrophobia. You know what that is. It's when you don't like to be in a tight, confined space. So you don't like elevators and you don't like small rooms and you don't like crowded rooms because you're scared of that. Well, there are all kinds of fears. I begin to read the list and some of them are hilarious to me because I don't deal with these and they're kind of funny because I just don't understand it. But there's a huge list, over 2,000 for instance. There's a fear called a maxophobia. That's not uh, being afraid of max. That's, um, that fear is is defined as the fear of riding in a car or vehicle. I don't know if they just want to travel by horse. I, you know, I don't understand that. I don't have a thought. Not one shred of fear goes across my mind when I get in my car. But there are people that cannot deal with the concept of riding in a vehicle. Another one, and this one cracks me up too, is ecclesiophobia, which is the fear of the church. Did you know there are people out there that are actually afraid to come to church? It's a real fear to them. Another one that uh, probably more of us suffer from, I, I think it's probably an epidemic uh, ratios across our culture. It's called um, pentherophobia. That's the fear of your mother-in-law. I didn't make that up. That's a real fear. It's in the classified fears. There are people that are terrified of their mother-in-laws, I, you know, for whatever. Uh, anyway, and then the, another one is ballistophobia, which cracks me up. It's the fear of bullets. Now, I understand being afraid if a bullet's coming at you, but if the bullet's on the counter and it's not in a gun, I don't understand, but there are people that are scared to death of bullets, and they have a major fear. There's this one, uh, OU-a-phobia. That's the fear that Tari has that North Carolina will have to play OU in football. Um, he has no fear when it comes to basketball, but football, he's, he's a little timid and scared. I understand. And another one, I made that one up, by the way. Another one that I made up is, uh, is uh, hand-dangling-a-phobia. All right, that's the one I had when I was a little boy, and I would be in bed, and my hand would dangle over the side of the bed, and I would think there's a boogeyman under my bed, and so I'd jerk it back real fast. I didn't want to sleep with my hand over the side of the bed, right? Oh, y'all don't look at me like that. Y'all did it too. You remember when you get up first in the morning, and you get out of bed, you'd jump out way across because you knew there was a fearful. We're scared to death. We're scared. The list goes on and on and on. Over 2,000 classified fears. But what that means is, is that we are living in a fear-filled society. Fear is, is overwhelming. Fear is saturating who we are. And fear is perpetuating. It just continues to live and go down to younger generations. But, now hear this carefully because this is important to know this morning. Scientists have discovered as they've researched all these fears, listen to this, even though there are over 2,000 classified fears, they've discovered that there are only two innate fears, two fears that we are born with. The first one is the fear of falling, and the second one is the fear of a loud noise. So what that means then, if you stop and think about that, if all the other fears are not innate, that means that at some point in our lives, when people looked at us, at us and said, you can't do that or don't do that, then what happened is fear embedded itself in us. Only two fears innate. Did you know that Ann Landers gets 10,000 letters a day uh, and fear is the most common thing she's asked about? Anybody want to guess what the most common fear if you do a survey across the landscape of America, do you know what the most common fear is in America? Huh? Public speaking. That's what most people fear, public speaking. And so our lives are marked by fear. We, we are so caught up in fear that we won't risk to do great things, and a lot of times we won't even do the mundane things. Like, for instance, in uh, Louis Armstrong's autobiography, he's a famous musician that was 
most of us are too young to even remember who he was, but he was a, he was a famous musician, and in his autobiography, he talks about when he was a little boy, he stepped out of his house, and there was an older lady standing there with a bucket in her hand because they had to go draw their water, and they had like a swampy type area that they got their water from, and she said, Louis, Louis, will you go get me a bucket of water? And he said, sure. He grabs the bucket, and he heads for the, the edge of the water, and when he gets there, he sees on the edge of the water, out peering out of the water, two eyes, and they belong to an alligator. And it scared him to death. So he threw his bucket down, or the lady's bucket down, and ran back to the house. And when he got there, she said, where's my bucket of water? And he began to explain, you don't understand. When I got down to the water, there was an alligator there. And she just chuckled. She said, Louis, that alligator has been there forever. And she went on and she said this. She said, Louis, the truth is that that alligator is most likely more scared of you than you are of him. And Louis stopped for just a moment, and he made this statement. Stay up with me now. He said, if that's the case, and that alligator is more scared of me than I am of him, then the water's not fit to drink anyway. Mundane things. Just going to get a can of water scares us to death. Some of you will get that this afternoon. See, I've noticed some things. This is what I've noticed. If only two fears are innate, we're born with them. And there are over 2,000 classified fears. That means all of the other fears are either caught or taught. And we need to understand that this morning because if they are caught or taught, that means then that we can fight our way out of fear. So let me ask you some questions this morning. The important question you got to ask is this, what do you fear? What internal struggle do you fight on a regular basis that keeps you from doing what God says to do? What keeps you from taking a risk? What, take, what keeps you from advancing? What keeps you from taking back territory for God? What keeps you from success? What keeps you from doing what God said to do in your life? Let me list some fears for you because I think there are some common ones. Like the first one that I listed is one that I fear and that I deal with on a regular basis. One of the fears that I face is this. I fear failure. I don't want to bomb. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to fall flat on my face. For some of you, that's your fear. For some of you, your fear is the unknown. Out there tomorrow, you're always worried about tomorrow so much and what you don't know about that you can't even enjoy today because you're worried about the unknown. For some of you, what you fear is ridicule. So you don't want anybody to point fingers at you. You don't want anybody to laugh at you. You're so scared of that ridicule that you won't try to do anything. You just want to fit in. For some of you, it's the fear of success because you understand that if you're successful, there's responsibility that goes with that success, and you don't want to be successful, so you will self-destruct. You ever met anybody like that? About to make it successful, and they self-destruct because they know if they become successful, there's a higher standard they're held to, right? Some of you, you fear about what other people think. You're so worried about what everybody else, is think, everybody else thinks that you can't even live your own life. For some of you, you're, fe- you're afraid of being single. I'm going to be single the rest of my life. Have you ever prayed this prayer? Don't come back, Jesus, until I get married. You know, we've all probably prayed that, but some of you are so wrapped up in that that you're scared to death. Some of you are scared of being married. Not most of us, but some of you. Some of you fear being authentic, and so what happens is every week and every day of your life you put a mask on and you won't be real with people because you understand that if, if I'm authentic, they'll know who I really am. Some of you fear being fake, and so you, so you tell everybody everything. Right? Fear. We're driven by fear. We're, 
this one's another one that I fear just a little bit. I don't deal with this one as much, but it's there in the back of my mind sometimes. How many of you have ever been overcome by the fear of disaster? For me, it's this. I'm always waiting on the other shoe to drop. Does that make sense to you? Things are going great. Everything's working together for my good. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, man, it's just something's got to become, it's got to be bad because it's just too good right now. Y'all ever been there? I've been there. It's a real fear. And so there are fears that bind us and keep us locked up. Did you know that 40% of the things that we worry about won't ever even happen? Think about that. That ought to put some of you at ease this morning. 40% of the things that you worry about won't even really come to pass. And 30 more percent of what we worry about is from the past, and it's not present, and it doesn't even exist anymore, but we're still living in fear over the past. And so we worry all the time. Fear is probably the first cage in our relationship with Christ. If we want to be fully developed believers, then we have to deal with the fear of our lives. And one pastor said it like this. Listen to me very carefully. He makes a powerful statement. He says this. He said, we are inwardly fashioned for faith, not fear. Think about that a moment. He says, fear, worry, and anxiety is not true to the way we've been wired. Everything about you from your tissue to your brain cells to your soul is constructed by our maker for faith and not fear. Then he goes on and he says, to live by fear is to, is to live against the reality of your creation. I think he hit it right on the head. I think it chimes in perfectly with what God taught us about fear. In fact, I want to read to you our text this morning, and most of you could quote it because you learned it in children's church, but here's my dilemma. I think we can quote it. I think we know it by heart. I just don't think we operate by it. I don't think we live by it, and I don't think we apply it to our lives very often. If we did, we wouldn't be so afraid. And the text is this, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I want you to listen to the first six words again. For God has not given us. Think about that passage a second. Because that means that if God has not given us the spirit of fear, and we're afraid, and we are, what that means is that we've learned to be afraid. And the good news for us this morning is this. If all but a two of the 2,000 fears that we deal with on a regular basis are not innate and they weren't born in us, then that means we can unlearn them. So if we're afraid, it's not God's fault. It's our fault because we're not supposed to be afraid. God must have known that we would deal with the cage of fear on a regular basis because did you know that throughout Scripture, over... Uh, when you go through the course of Scripture and you begin to research it, 365 times, that sounds coincidental, doesn't it? 365 times the Bible says, fear not. So Jesus and God must have understood that we would deal with fear on a regular basis every day of our life. And so for every day of your life, when you wake up in the morning and you're afraid, God has provided a fear not for us teaching us that we can defeat fear. Let me point some things out to you very quickly about fear that I want you to understand. The first one is this. Fear can make you make wrong choices. Think about that a moment. When you're afraid, it will cause you to make stupid choices in life. How many examples from Scripture do I need to point you to? Maybe Abraham lying about his wife, Sarah. You remember that account in the Old Testament? The uh, uh, wicked king wanted his wife 
and he, Abraham was afraid that if he found out they were married that the king would kill Abraham, and so he said, she's my sister instead, and he lied because he was afraid. What about Jacob? Jacob was afraid of losing the birthright to his brother, and so he tricks his dad and destroys and divides an entire family for decades because he's afraid. How about David? David was afraid that his adultery would be exposed and that now people would know that he had killed a man, and out of his fear he commits murder. How about in the New Testament where Peter cuts off a guy's ear in a fit of fear, afraid that they're going to be destroyed out of scripture how many examples out of the scripture do you need to let you know that when you are afraid you make stupid decisions how many examples out of real life do we need for instance how about this fear I'm afraid of being single for the rest of my life so since I'm so afraid of that what I'll do is I'll settle for the first person that pays me any attention how many of you know that's a recipe for disaster how many of you know that's a recipe for divorce and heartache and heartbrokenness. But we make stupid decisions when we're afraid. How about this one? I'm afraid of being laughed at, so I will refuse to make a stand for my faith. I'm, I'm afraid of failure, so I won't even try. I, I, I'm afraid of change, so I will live in, the, in a rut for the rest of my life. Don't make me change the way I drive to work. Don't make me change the way I do things. Let me do the same routine every day and live my life in this rut. Because as soon as you ask me to change, I'm going to freak out. I can't stand it. And so we don't do anything different. How about this one? I'm so afraid of what others think. So what I'll do is I'll spin myself into financial ruin so that others will think that I'm successful. And not only will I spin myself into financial ruin, I'll spend so much money just to try to keep up with my neighbors that not only will I ruin my life, I'll ruin my kids' lives too, and they'll be paying off debt after I die just so that people that live next door to me who I really don't even know, I will... They will think I'm somebody. Fear is a stupid way to make decisions. For some of us, we're so afraid of authenticity. So what we do is we put on a mask. And what we do is before I'll ask for help or counsel, I'll wait until my life is destroyed, until my marriage falls apart, until all the relationships around me fall apart, until my world disintegrates. I am so afraid of what people will think if they knew what my life was really like that I'll wear a mask. When we're fearful, we make silly decisions. I wrote some things down just real quickly. I put fear is not a good platform for decision making. If you're afraid this morning, quit making decisions because you'll make the wrong one. I wrote this down. I think it's powerful. I said, we should be fearful of choices that are made when we're fearful. Don't make decisions when you're afraid. The second thing I want to tell you is that fear establishes limits on our lives. Erwin McManus says it like this. He says, your fears establish the limits of your life. If you fear heights, you will stay low. If you fear people, you will stay alone. In other words, you can only go as far as your fears will allow you to go. You can only do for God what your fears will allow you to do. I was reminded of Moses. And you remember that the fear that invaded his life when he killed that Egyptian and he ran for his life. His fear caused a deliverer to watch sheep for the next 40 years. That's what it does. Fear stops us in our track. I want you to stop right now and ask yourself this question. I want you to walk yourself through this question. How do my fears limit me? And here's the important question. What could I do if I had no fear? What could you accomplish in your life if fear wasn't in the equation? Uh, let me give you some examples. I could wait and find the right spouse. I wasn't afraid of being single. 
I, I could get help. My life wouldn't fall apart. If I wasn't afraid of what people would think, I could wait and I could get some help and I could tell people that I need help. Or maybe this one, I could make a difference. Or probably this one's the best one. I could, you fill in the blank. What could you do if fear was not a part of your life? I remember the fear uh, that invaded the children of Israel, that it limited them from inheriting their, their promised land for 40 years. Do you remember that they had been promised a smorgasbord? They could live on milk and honey and grapes and the fruit of the land, and instead they had to eat mashed manna and scrambled manna and grilled manna and baked manna and manna casserole and fried manna and manna fondue and manna whatever else they could come up with, hard-boiled manna, because why? Because they liked manna? No, because they were afraid. And it caused them to circle in the desert for the rest of their life. Hear Hear me this morning. Fear will establish limits on your life, and some of you will walk in the desert the rest of your life if you don't fight out of a cage of fear this morning. The third thing I'd tell you about fear is this. Fear messes with our perspective. You remember the report that the spies, that the children of Israel sent to look at the promised land? You remember the the report they came back with? In Numbers chapter 13, verse 33, listen to the fear here. We look like grasshoppers to ourselves, and so we must have looked to them. In other words, their fear caused them to have a warped perspective of themselves and their perspective of how others saw them. I want to tell you this morning that fear can cause you to see yourselves wrong, and it can cause you to see others wrong, and it can cause you to see God wrong. Have you ever met anybody that was extremely gifted, had unbelievable talents and unbelievable potential in their life, but because they were afraid... They didn't see themselves correctly, and they also had an assumption about how everybody else saw them, and they had the wrong perspective of God and thought God was really small. Let me make it really practical. Go back to your dating life. Any of you ever date you guys? Now, don't, don't raise your hand or your wife might get mad. Uh, did you, unless she's the one, and then you can raise your hand all you want to. Uh, did you ever date one of those young ladies that's just drop-dead gorgeous? When she walks in the room, everybody just goes, <gasps> or ladies? Did you ever date one of those guys that's just unbelievably handsome and when he walks in the room, all the other women turn and look? And yet, have, have you noticed about some of those folks like that? They have such a low self-esteem and they deal with self-image issues and it doesn't matter how many times you tell them, man, you're gorgeous, you're absolutely beautiful, they will never believe you? Have you ever met anybody like that? They cannot get past what they see in the mirror and the fear of what they see causes them to live in bondage. And then what happens is a lot of times they end up getting married and when the couple walks in the room and the lady's beautiful and you look at the guy, you go, how in the world? Y'all know. And the opposite is true too, you know. The, some, some women walk in the room with a guy on her arm and you go, how in the world did she get? And it's because of perspective. I want to tell you something this morning. If you live a fearful life, your perspective of yourself your perspective of what other people think, and your perspective of God will be warped because fear clouds our vision. The fourth thing I want to tell you this morning quickly is that fear must be faced. We must acknowledge our fear and face our fear if we want to live life to the fullest. Not acknowledging your fear does not mean you're not afraid. We like to fool ourselves and think if nobody knows I'm afraid, then I must not be afraid. No, no, no. 
You've got to come to grips with your own fear in your own life and acknowledge the fact and face off and square off against the fear of your life because it is a fight and it is a battle to get out. Did you Listen, if you, you've got to come to the place where you acknowledge it and say, you know what, I'll man up. We've got to go to war, fear, because it's a reality in my life, and I am afraid. We've got to come to that place. Did you know that fear can be your friend? Fear of getting burned kept me from touching the stove when I was little. Fear can be a friend. So fear can be an indicator of what we should not do, but a lot of times what happens is God will use the very things that we fear as a message to us that that's what we need to do. Have you ever had that happen? Like one of the fears, I said the greatest fear in America and across, I guess, the globe is is the fear of public speaking. That's me right there, man. I hate, when I was little, I, you couldn't pay me to get up in front of a classroom and speak. I know y'all don't believe this, but I was shy and timid. But it was an indicator to me that God might want to use me in that, that role. And so fear can become our friend. Jamie Buckingham wrote this statement. I read it when I was a, youth, a young youth pastor, and it has marked my life. I wrote it on my wall, and I put it on all of our printed out stuff because I wanted my young people to catch this in their spirit. I want you to catch this statement in your spirit this morning. Jamie Buckingham said the way we should live our life is this. He said, you should attempt something so big that unless God intervenes, it will fail. And the only way that you can live a life like that is not to be afraid. Because as soon as you're afraid, you're limited. So I want to step one step further and ask you this question. How do you fight fear? What do you need to overcome fear? How can we overcome the fears of our life? See, logically, we think that what we need to do this morning is ask for a show of hands. All of you that are afraid of something, raise your hand. And then what we'll do is we'll call you down front and we'll pray for you and ask God to give you courage. Because if you're afraid, what you need is you need a dose of courage, right? Wrong. Good amen, but wrong. No, you're good. Because that's what I thought. God, if I'm afraid, then I need courage. But that's not God's antidote for fear. Did you know that God gives us an antidote for fear? His remedy for fear is found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. And it says this. I know you know this verse of Scripture, but listen carefully. I'm going to read it to you out of four versions. It says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear. I know courage is the opposite of fear, but God says what you really need to do away with your fear is perfect love. He goes on and he says, Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. In another version, there is no fear where love exists. Rather, perfect love banishes fear, for fear involves punishment, and the person who lives in fear has not been perfected in love. Then another version, I, listen, this is powerful. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ's. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet, yet fully formed in love. And then finally in this version, there is no fear in love. True love has no room for fear. Because where fear is, there is pain. And he who is not free from fear is not complete in love. God's remedy to us to, uh, for fear is we have to come to grips and have a deep understanding that we are washed in perfect love if we're in relationship with God. And if we have perfect love, we don't have to be afraid. Think about that this, just a moment. If we're aware and we're surrounded by God's perfect love, we don't have to fear anything. 
if we understand how much God loves us, we no longer have to be afraid because then fear has no more power. If we understand that he loves us, then we understand that he's given his angels charge over us and we understand that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And we understand that though some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, we put our trust in the name of the Lord. And because he loves us so much, we don't have to live a life of fear. Perfect love keeps us from becoming trapped by the cage of fear. Listen, I wrote some things down. Your fears will vanish in a moment when you realize that the God of the universe, the strongest, mightiest, most powerful force ever known to man, who has more power in his words than we have in all of our armies put together, who is undefeated and unchallenged in his greatness, loves us so much that he's got our back. That drives away fear. Because when I know that God is for me, let me ask you a question. If you know that God is for you, who can be against you? Why should I be afraid? We need to be reminded this morning about the depth and the fear-absolving love that he has for us. He ta- he, David deals with it in Psalms chapter 91. I want to read it to you. Listen carefully what he says because there's some powerful truth in there. Here's what he says. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. In other words, I don't have to fear the schemes of the enemy and I don't have to fear sickness because he loves me. Then he goes on and he says, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not be, you will, you will not fear the terror of the night. In other words, I don't have to go to sleep and worry about whether my hand is hanging over the bed anymore. Because I don't have to worry about the fear of the night. In other words, another truth that came to me when I read that is this. If it's the terror of the night, I don't even see it coming. I don't know what's out there. And he's saying, if If you love me, and I know that he loves me, if he loves me, I don't have to fear what I don't know about. And then he comes on and he says, not only that, you don't have to fear the arrows that fly by day. That means I don't have to fear the things I do see coming. Then he says this. He says, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. In other words, I don't have to fear any plague that sweeps the land like economic disaster. I don't have to fear that. Because I trust him and I love him and he loves me. Nor the, uh, then he goes on and he says, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. In other words, I'm untouchable because he loves me. Then he says this, you will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. In other words, when I hide in him and I know that he loves him, he The enemy has no way to get in my house, and he has no way to touch my children. How many of you have ever been afraid for your children? Drop them off at school, and you wonder, what in the world? When I see what's going on in the world, what in the world? But according to what he says, it won't even, the enemy can't even come near my tent. Then he says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. Can I ask you a question this morning? If God commands his angels to have charge over this, can I ask you a question this morning? Are your angels yawning? Y'all remember that commercial about the guardian angels, the funny one? It was a credit card commercial where there was supposed to be this guardian angel on duty, and 
the guy would like, I remember one in particular where he's in the airport and he walks off the catwalk at the end. You remember that? And, or the airwalk thingy and, and he falls off the end and it's, uh, I think it's the what in your, what's in your wallet commercials. And there's one time he's in the shop and he's knocking everything down. Y'all remember that one? I wonder how many of our guardian angels that God says that he puts in charge over us are like that because they're bored. Because they realize we won't try nothing. They don't even have to watch us because we never take a risk. And they're yawning. And God is saying, look, I am so much concerned about you that I will guard you in all of your ways. And then he says, they will lift up their hands so that you might not strike your foot against the stone. You know what he's saying? We sang it this morning. He's, he's saying, I got your back. Then he says, you will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. In other words, I don't have to fear destruction. I don't have to fear the loud things. Remember the two innate fears? He's already dealt with them. I won't let you fall. Then he says, you can, you can come up against a lion who is loud. I don't have to be afraid of loud things. And he says, you don't have to be afraid of the serpent. How many of you know the serpent's a quiet thing? So I don't have to fear loud things. I don't have to fear quiet things. He's got my back. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in the time of trouble. I will honor him. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. We don't have to be David carries on in Psalm chapter 27, verse 1 through 3. We, let, we, we sang it this morning, but I want you to hear it again, and then I'm done. He's, he asked some questions. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Then he says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Who, of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me. Ever felt like war has been waged on you? Ever felt like all of the, the devil's demons and all the hordes of hell are coming against your life and everything's going terribly and it's falling apart? David says, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then. Will I be confident? Why? Because perfect love casts out all fear. Listen this morning. What you need, you don't need to be brave. You don't need to have courage in your life. What you need is to understand and acknowledge the perfect love that wraps up your life and understand that because he loves you perfectly, he's got your back. We don't have to be scared of anything or anybody. Why shouldn't we be afraid to try new things? Why should we not be afraid to take a risk? Why should we fear being alone? Why should we fear facing a sin-filled society? Why don't we fear going where no men have ever tread before? Why shouldn't our lives be controlled and caged by fear? One answer, because he loves me. That's why. That's why you can walk out of here this morning and live a confident life not be afraid and not be anxious and not worry and not fret and not have stomach pains and headaches and high blood pressure and at wit's end and needing a little Prozac every now and then to get you through the day. No, no, no. You can live in perfect love and understand that you do not have to be afraid. There's one exception and then I'm done. The only people that should be afraid this morning are those that are sitting under the sound of my voice that don't know Christ as their personal Savior. And the reason is, is because Jesus himself said, the only thing that you should fear is you should fear somebody that can destroy your soul. 
And this morning, if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, I have some bad news and some good news. The bad news is you're exposed. The promises of Psalm 91 don't apply to you. You should be afraid of the lion. You should be afraid of the snake. You should be afraid of the pestilence. You should be afraid of all the disaster that can come against you. You should be afraid for your children. You should be terrified of what could happen. The good news is perfect love casts out all fear. And all you have to do is give your heart and life to him and the fear vanishes like a dream. Researchers tell us that 50% of the people that come to church on a regular basis, even though some of them have been coming for decades, they're here every time the doors open. They say to us that 50% of the people that attend church on a regular basis have never given their heart and life to Jesus. They come out of habit. They come out of duty. They come out of because that's what they've always done. I want to tell you this morning that if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you should be afraid. You should be dreading. But if you do know Jesus as your personal Savior, your life should not and cannot be marked by the cage of fear. You should be a trying things that blow other people's minds. You ought to live a dangerous life because he's got your back. I want you to stand with me this morning. What fears have you caged in? Let me ask it like this. What fears have you learned? Only two fears are innate, so any other fear that you have, you had to learn it somewhere. What are you afraid of? What keeps you up at night? What keeps you from accomplishing what God wants you to accomplish there's victory for that this morning. He's got our back. I want you to, every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Nobody looking around. This is between you and God. If you're here and you'd say, Steve, I don't know Christ as my personal Savior, and therefore I understand I do need to be afraid. Because I have no protection, no covering, no, no grace over my life. Fear has overtaken me, and I am afraid this morning, and rightfully so. If that's you, and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you're not, maybe you've known Him in the past, but you've pulled back from Him, and you're not where you need to be this morning, and you're afraid. I promise I won't embarrass you. You don't have to be afraid of that, I promise. But I do want to pray intelligently for you. If you're here and you need to accept Christ as your personal Savior and make Him the Lord of your life, would you quickly just raise your hand and pull it back down? Nobody looking around. This is between you and God. Anybody? I need to commit my ways to him this morning so that I know he's got my back. Anybody? All right, I'm taken by that, that everybody in this room knows Christ is your personal Savior. Then my question to you this morning is this, why are you afraid? If the promises of Psalm 91 are for you, and they are, and the promises of Psalm chapter 27 that we sang this morning are for you, and they are, then can I ask you this morning, why are you afraid I challenge you this morning you need to strap on your gloves and put your mouthpiece in and go to war and fight your way out of the cage of fear and I'm going to pray for you this morning and ask God to set you free from fear if you're here this morning you say Pastor Steve I am afraid there is fear that I wake up and I deal with it on every day of my life and I keep it sets limits for me and I want to get rid of that fear in my life quickly can you raise your hand and pull it back down yeah hands up all over the place yes you can pull it back down I'm living out of fear this morning perfect love you know Jesus you know perfect love
perfect love casts out all fear. You can walk out of this building this morning and not be afraid because he loves you. Father, this morning I'm praying for those that honestly raised their hand and said they're afraid. Some may be afraid of what others think. Some some of us may be afraid of ridicule. Some of us may be afraid of failure. Some may be afraid of disaster. Father, I pray this morning that we would come to a new understanding and a new revelation of your love. You love us. You got my back. I don't have to be afraid. So, Father, I pray this morning that we would fight our way out of fear. We want to unlearn all the fears that restrict us and limit us. God, we want to live our life to the fullest so that we can accomplish everything that you have for us to accomplish. And we understand this morning that if we don't get rid of fear, we will circle for the rest of our life. Set us free from fear this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, I want you to reach over and lay your hand on your neighbor right now. You don't know whose shoulder or back you're touching right now, but some of you are touching people that raise their hand. Or maybe they should have raised their hand. And they're afraid this morning. I want you to help me to pray. The prayer of faith over them this morning. And we're going to believe that once and for all, the cage of fear is going to be broken. And these folks are going to live in victory and accomplish great and mighty things for God's kingdom. Father, right now, I pray for my brother and my sister, those that I have my hands on, and I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would set them free from fear. God, whatever we're afraid of, things that people may know about, maybe nobody knows about what we're afraid of, I pray in the name of Jesus right now you would set us completely free and we would walk out of here confident in the fact that you love us and that you've got our back. Father, we anticipate that some confident, loved people are going to begin to accomplish great things for your kingdom and they're going to begin to make a mark in the society in which we live. And while everybody else is afraid and they're scared to death, we are going to live in the freedom of knowing that you love us so much that you won't let us fall, that you won't let us stumble, that you won't let us be overtaken, that you won't let us be ridiculed beyond a measure that we can stand. You won't let any disaster come near our house or to the near to the lives of those that we love because you love us so much. So we ask like David asked this morning of whom? Shall we be afraid? In fact, Father, I, I, just, I just feel so brave this morning because of the love that has invaded my life. I just feel like pointing my finger in the face of the enemy and saying this, bring it on. Because I'm still standing. I've taken the best shot that you had to offer and I am still standing not by my own might nor by my own power but by the love, the perfect love that God has given me, that he's blessed me with. And so we do away with the cage of fear this morning and we begin to attempt great things, trusting you to help us to do what you planned for us to do and destined us to do 
promised that we could do. Father, we'll give you the glory and the honor and the power and the praise because it belongs to you in Jesus' name. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.